0: Building the fashion businesses of the future together. Welcome to the future of fashion business. The future of fashion business is about helping aspiring fashion entrepreneurs and designers start their own successful fashion brands by learning from the best, most experienced people in the industry. I am your host, Esteban Julian. For more advice and to learn more about how I started my own fashion brand, make sure you follow my fashion journey on YouTube. At Esteban Julian. Welcome to this week's episode of the future of fashion business. I am your host Esteban Julian and on this week's episode we have Maria Pessin. Now Maria as a senior apparel industry executive with an outstanding history of achievement and over 25 years of field experience. She has developed brands from the ground up and taken well-known names to new heights of excellence. Let's get to today's or this week's <laughs> episode. Cool. So that's the beginning of the recording. Uh, Maria, I don't know if I said this, before I actually start recording this, but I really appreciate you being here with us today. Uh, Thank you. Uh, it really, really means a lot that you share this, this information, obviously not only with me, but also with our listeners. I know I'm very excited. And- so
1: am I. I'm really excited to be on this. I, I like your premise.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Well, Maria, why don't we just start off with something simple. Uh, As I mentioned to you before, I always like to keep the episodes really casual, really organic. And I really like my listeners to feel a little bit more related or I guess related, more comfortable with my guests in the podcast. So can you tell us a little bit more about your personal story in the industry? What got you to where you're at right now? And yeah, just a little bit of background.
1: Sure. So um, I've been in the industry for I am reluctant to say this 40 years because it takes (laughs) me, but it's been a very long time. And when I started in this industry, I I like to joke that I started um, below the bottom. It took me three years to get to the bottom Mm -hmm. and get started in the industry. I come from a blue collar family, Italian family with millions of kids and cousins and aunts and uncles. And I was one of the youngest and I was, The first one to go to college and the first one to have a career um, that wasn't, you know, being a fireman or, you know, owning a bar or doing any kind of blue collar work. So Mm -hmm. and that is just talking about the men, because the women were pretty much homemakers at the time. And when I first started in business, the wanted used to be separated by male and female. So we're going back a long time. So I was doing something very different from what my family did, but also from what women did. So I was breaking through a ceiling on both um, both counts. Yeah. And I remember telling my parents as a young person, I'm going to be rich, I would tell them all the time. And they would say, oh, okay, you're going to be rich. And – um <laughs> And I, (laughs) you know, very cute, Maria, go play with the dolls kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, nobody took me seriously until I started my career. After three years of doing clerical work where I didn't learn anything, I finally got a job as an assistant buyer and I started to learn about the business. And from then on, each job that I took after that was a stepping stone to the next. I always had a vision of where I wanted to go in the business. And I was very conscious of finding jobs that would be learning opportunities and growth opportunities and places where I would meet people, I would network and have a, a whole extensive list of people that I know. I even have like a ridiculous amount of people on LinkedIn, but I think that's just kind of organic It kind of took off from the initial thousand people that I knew in business and then people Mm -hmm. just started to discover me. Um, By the time I started my business I had run two companies. One, I ran for 17 years. I'd launched it from zero and built it into over $20 million in sales.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I worked there for seven years. I was responsible for everything down to P&L. So I learned a lot. And um, while my focus has always been sales and marketing, you really can't do a good job with sales and marketing without the other stuff. So I was very involved in design and production, um, Mm -hmm. HR, you know, I had a staff of people that reported to me. So I learned every side of the business. After that, I launched another business. Um, that was something, you'd know, called Jessica Simpson, um, Mm -hmm. coats. And I did that for six years again from zero to a $6 million, actually $9 million business after um, six years, kind of inverted my numbers. So I grew that and very successful business. We were the number one business at Dillard. So with this 20 some odd years experience running companies, I really learned all about the business. Mm -hmm. And then my father and mother didn't say, oh, how cute they my, I remember finding out from my father. He told people, "Yeah, they." He told people how much money I made because he was like so impressed. He'd tell people, "I said, Daddy, you can't do that. You tell people how much I make." So it was no longer how cute. It was more like, "Wow, she actually did what she said she was going to do." So that was exciting. And six years ago, I decided that I wanted to have my own business. I wanted to do consulting, and the reason I wanted to. Do do consulting is I like working with small companies and startups who are navigating the waters who don't know how to start and don't know how to put it together and don't know how to grow it so that it's a business that makes you money and not just a little money like a lot of money if you're Mm -hmm. going to take the risk of starting a fashion business you should be making a lot of money Mm -hmm. and I so believe that and Six years later, I've been working with many people over the years and have had really good success with them. And unfortunately, some people weren't successful. You know, sometimes people do things that don't necessarily move the needle forward. I find that with my business, the people who are successful are the ones that take a lot of action. The mm-hmm. people who don't execute and don't execute well are the ones that are not successful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the that process, tells, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I the people I do well with, they speak to me every day. They text me, they email me, we talk, we have weekly meetings. We're constantly doing things and really driving the business forward and making progress at every step of the way. The people I don't hear from for two weeks, sometimes three weeks, they are not successful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like kind of a lesson that, I mean, people in the industry fall in love, I guess, because fashion is, is an industry that is so easy to fall in love with superficially because you know, all of the, uh, the marketing and the lifestyle that pretty much goes around it. But at the end of the day, people, if you, if you, if you're planning to start a fashion business, you have to understand that most of that is just noise for, for the industry that the, the reality of, of the fashion industry is that you're gonna have to work super, super hard. You're gonna have to do a lot of things that you won't like to do. As you said, you have to do everything from human resources to product development, to marketing, to design, to sales. Everything's gonna be in your own hands. So not only do you have to take you know constant action, as you said, but you also have to have the right mindset when you're starting out. Now, I love that you said that you saw in both of your clients, and I'm sure that also in your experience, a lot of a lot of the same things, I guess, patterns of behavior that fashion entrepreneurs tend to do that do not move their business forward. What would you say those biggest things are or the main things?
1: Well, one of the things I see that happens is the bright, shiny penny syndrome, mm. whereas people say oh, I that looks like a good thing to do. Let me do that. That doesn't mm-hmm. work out. So then they see another thing. They do that. Then they see another thing. They do that. So they're not consistent Focus. in their approaches and they don't do anything long enough for it to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a big problem where they have trouble executing. And I also think that fear, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things that comes up a lot is people want, perfection and Mm -hmm. you do want to have the best line you possibly can have you can't be mediocre and I would never suggest that you do that but there comes a point where you just have to do it Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are so busy perfecting that they never pull the trigger and they never get going and so that's a problem that I see is just just do it finally just do it, and you can always course correct from there. You can see what works, what doesn't work, and then you can keep evolving your brand so that it gets better and better each season. But that's mm-hmm. another problem with execution. And then just some people just can't get out of their own way. They're disorganized. They just can't seem to get Hopefully. it done. Mm-hmm. That happens as well. But that's where I come in. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that I do is to make sure that people stay on a path that gets them somewhere. And I'm kind of an accountability person. You're paying me. So you want to make sure you get your money's worth. So you use me and I hold people accountable. I have someone, a client that I worked with today and she's actually doing a business. That's a little different from my normal role model. She's opening up a sales repping organization where she Mm -hmm. sells lines for a commission. And, um, so she's just starting this business and she, and I harass her. How many calls are you making a day? How many hours are you spending reaching out? And she says you ask me that every time I speak to you. I said, because that's important. That's the most important thing. So I keep her accountable and she likes that because it's helpful for her to stay focused on the most important things because you could, you know, you could have a very long runway, but some point you have to let that plane go in the air Mm -hmm.
0: no I completely completely agree with you uh Maria when you talked about the shiny object syndrome you know the fact that a lot of people have a hard time focusing on one thing on one track and sticking to it would you say that tends to happen they get distracted on the product that they're offering on or on the strategy what would you say is the most common
1: uh well I think it's, it's both but um, it's different in both cases. In terms of product, you know, focusing is really key to building any sort of business. Mm -hmm. As a person who does a podcast, you have a concentration on the future of the fashion business. That's your focus. Mm -hmm. Every line needs to have a focus. And a lot of times when people open up their lines, they want to do everything. They want to be everything to everyone. They tell me I could sell everyone. But you can't really market to everyone. You really can't design to everyone. So you really need to have a focus Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and say that, you know, I'm going to start out with shoes. I'm not going to start out with shoes, wallets, um, handbags, and hats. You know, Mm -hmm. focus on one thing so that you're not all over the place. So that's Mm -hmm. how it pertains to your product. But um, in a lot of ways, it's more of how you – market and sell your product and all of the other stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. digital marketing, for example, how many different platforms are you going to really concentrate on? Maybe you start with Instagram and maybe Facebook at first, and you really concentrate on those. But some people, they concentrate on Instagram. They don't get immediate results. Then they go to Facebook. They Mm -hmm. don't get immediate results. Trade shows are another example. Oh, someone who comes up with a trade show that looks like a good thing to do. They do it once, they get no traffic, they never go back again. Rather than doing the Sticking the work. trade show several times mm-hmm. so that you start building results because it never happens the first time. So people call me a lot of times and they say, "Oh, somebody tell me about this fashion show. Should I do this? Somebody tell me about this new trade show. Should I do that?" And you have to really stay focused and edited because people only have two resources, time and money. And when you use up your time and money in things that aren't going to have um, good results, then you're wasting that time and money when you could be doing it somewhere else
0: course and how would a how would a fashion entrepreneur know where to start when it comes to marketing and sell strategies because as you said there's so many things going on there's so many different ways to promote and market your brand how do you know which one's the best for your scenario well
1: it takes a lot of research Mm -hmm. you know you need to understand who your customer is and really identify her or him very specifically i like to create avatars avatars Mm are are a fake person so to speak you create this i'm sorry
0: yeah like an imagine an imaginary sort of yeah again, avatar there's no better there's no yeah. better
1: Aver- yeah look I try it try up to find go- one.
0: i try to find a better <laughs> word yeah, there's no better way for it
1: but avatar is really like a good word for it and it you might say okay my avatar is a woman who's 38 years old she has two children 20 um 21 months and seven years old she's been in um healthcare industry as an administrator for her whole life, her whole career life. Her husband um, works in uh, sports marketing and they have a total combined income of a quarter of a million dollars a year and, you know, on and on. And you can get very drilled down to who that customer is. Mm -hmm. So then from knowing who your customer is, you have to know where she lives. Where does she live? Does she live in a suburb? Does she live in um, a city? Does she, what does she like to do? Does she like to go to the movies? Does she like to go to museums? Where does she spend her life? So that you know what she's reading, what she's looking at, what she's studying, what stores she likes to shop in, so you know what stores you want to sell. And then you start to find a strategy. For example, Instagram and Facebook. So Facebook has an older demographic and Instagram has a younger demographic. Mm-hmm. So if you have a young contemporary line, you might put more of your attention on an Instagram site. Um, s- stores, are. do you feel like your stuff would be better in a boutique or better in a department store? Or maybe it'd be good in, you know, a big box store. So you... Mm-hmm you study where your customer shops so you know where to put your product. And is she an upscale customer? Is she a moderate customer? Should I be in high-end stores? Should I be in low-end stores? All of that jumps out from who the customer is.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, you need to know where their attention is at, again, because you need to be where that, where your customer's attention is at. You know, if they're spending a lot of time most of their days and I don't know, a football club, then you want to be marketing that your clothing in that football club. Just, just like, it's a bad example, but
1: <laughs> it's actually not a bad example. Think about sports lines. Yeah. If you're offering
0: a sport line and it's, it's a football line that offers right. better soccer shoes that make you run faster. Well, you're going to have to be promoting that where those customers are football stadium, right. or Instagram pages, et cetera. So no, it makes a lot, a lot of sense. And it also ties down to another thing that you talked about, uh, about being specific about not only your marketing strategy, but also your product. Because you you don't want to be offering 20 different products with that customer because that just complicates the amount of information that you can get from them, right?
1: Yes. And what you mean when you say 20 products is 20 very diverse products.
0: Exactly. exactly, If you have a
1: blouse line and there are 20 blouses, that's okay.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like you have the shoes, you have the blouses, you have the shorts, you have the sunglasses, you have the hats, etc., etc. And now, we'd like to take a quick commercial break to thank our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Your Social Component. At Your Social Component, we help fashion and e-commerce business owners automate and scale their online sales using the best online advertising strategies out there. If you're looking for a marketing agency that completely understands your industry and can scale your fashion and e-commerce business to the next level... Make sure you get in touch through our website at yoursocialcomponent.com. Now let's continue with this week's episode. Yeah, so obviously there's a lot of, and this is the thing, and I think this is one of the biggest reasons why people are afraid of starting their own fashion company, especially nowadays that there's so many things that you could actually be doing. There's so many different strategies. There's so many different offerings. There's so many different customer demographics. Like where do you start? And the thing that shocks me is that people in the fashion industry have so little information about how business actually works that they might not even understand what a system is, you know, and a process
1: and process exactly
0: and it's something extremely extremely important to know how to start setting up from the very very beginning because if you don't i mean your business is just going to go all over the place but just for the listeners that do not quite grasp the concept of a process or a system can you give us a couple of examples of number one what that is and what that would look like in a fashion business at the early stages for example
1: so before we talk about that specifically, to me, the very first stage that a business should um, do is create a business plan. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's varied thinking about that. Nowadays, some people think you know it's a waste of time. Some people think it's important. They think it's a waste of time because you're guessing and making assumptions in certain areas. For example, how much volume can you do? to some extent that's an assumption there's no science to it that you could say well you know i'm going to have 1% of this 2 billion dollar business or i'm going to create you know a 100 million dollar business it does it's an assumption and you don't really know until you launch so to me business plans are important because they force you to answer questions about your business so that you can really develop the concept so that you have ideas of how you want to do everything you have sales strategies you have Mm -hmm. um marketing strategies product strategies how are you going to make samples what are my margins going to be what kind of stores do i sell and those are the things that a business plan will help you sketch out so Mm -hmm. that you can develop processes um who is the one that, um, I think it's e-book, E-Myth, the book by Michael Gerber, where he talks about um, the entrepreneurial myth. And what he talks about in his book is that we're so busy working in our business that we're not working on our business. And that's mm-hmm. where processes and systems come in. What are your pro- what's your process to develop a line? What's your first step, second step, third step? So if you know what your calendar, first you make your calendar, what you need to have done by each step, when Mm -hmm. you're supposed to launch your collection, wholesale or retail, what the dates are going to be. And then you kind of reverse engineer it when's the when do i need my samples by when do i need to start making my samples when do i buy fabrics when do i start sketching so you make a system and a process in place so that at every point you know what you're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. margins for example do you have spreadsheets to create your margins where you can put the numbers in and the prices come out because you know what your marketing your margin strategy is so coming up with these systems of working will come out of the business plan because the business plan will be top level and then you drill it down to the processes. And when you do that, it makes it less overwhelming. When you know, this is what I have to do, these are the dates I have to do it by, and you turn it into actionable tasks that you then proceed to do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, as you said, it's very, very important to know and have a strategy of what you're actually going to be doing. And I agree with you hundred uh, percent. I don't think personally that a business plan, uh, because people think of a business plan and they automatically think, Oh, this is for, I don't know, investors, or this involves a lot of financial projections and a lot of uh, complicated money sheets about how much money I'm making, how much money I'm losing. But the reality is that it's more for yourself than from anybody else and making a business plan is actually, because obviously somebody that doesn't know anything about this might get very, very overwhelmed just by hearing the word business plan, but uh, there's so many information available online, literally just by Googling, to give you a solid head start on what to do, how to actually build a, a, a simple business plan to yourself so that you, you actually have something to follow through with. Uh, okay. In the case of the fashion industry, because obviously there's, as you said, there's so many things that have to be systemized uh, and you have to build some processes for, you know, from product to marketing, uh, PR, sales, etc. What would you say is the most important one to focus when you're starting out? Would it be product? Would it be marketing? Would it be sales? Product. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's all about the product. If the product's not right, you're not going to have any business. So you need to really just dis- decide what your product's going to be, how it's going to be priced, what market's going to be in, who your customer is going to be, how many pieces, make a line plan. Line plans are um, plans of how many pieces you're going to have in each group, tops, bottoms, ratio, handbags, if it's handbags, you know, uh, top handles versus shoulder bags versus backpack. You You come up with a line plan and You really refine it before you start sample one. So Mm -hmm. to me, product is first and foremost. And do your research. Here's something that's really crucial to being successful. You have to have a reason to be. Mm -hmm. You know, another, people call it your USP, your unique selling proposition. You need that so that you can stand out from your competition. Why do we need another fashion brand? There's a gazillion fashion brands out there. There's already so many. Do we need another one? Maybe not. But if we're going to have another one, it should be something that we don't already have. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying, you know, you have to reinvent clothing so that, you know, you come up with a very (laughs) new
0: idea. Complicated technology.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't have to be that, but it has to have a uniqueness that makes it special, that separates you from the people that you would hang in a store with separates you from your competition and that's very strategic in doing a uh, product assortment
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's awesome that you mentioned that because people tend to think that what they want to build comes before Mm -hmm. what the marketplace actually wants Mm -hmm. you know so it's very very important for you to do your research as you talk a lot about uh listen to your marketplace It's okay to have an idea, but you always have to keep in mind that you always have to validate that idea with the market, you know, because, and this, this happens specifically a lot. And I know this firsthand because I'm, I know I talk a lot about a, a lot of technical information, but I'm naturally more, more of a creative person. I tend to fall in love with my, my own ideas, disregarding evidence and facts. (laughs) Etc. You know? <laughs> Don't you know? we all? We yeah. we
1: wanna believe that we reinvented
0: the wheel. Exactly. And that happens a lot with creative people, you know, because they, they get emotionally attached to their their art, their clothing, and they wanna believe that people will buy it just for no other reason but because they're offering it. So it's very important to do your market research, look for those look for those opportunities and go forward. Maria, what would you say would be, and this is obviously, there's so many different examples, but just off the top of your head, a quick example of what a market opportunity would look like for, as you said, a unique selling point or a unique uh, product offering.
1: I'm sorry. I'm not clear exactly what you're asking.
0: Sorry. Let me, let me reframe that real quick. What would you say, and this is just so that people, uh, my listeners, could have a very clear idea of what a unique selling proposition is. Could you give Mm -hmm. us a quick example of, I don't know, a scenario where somebody, a hypothetical scenario, obviously it doesn't have to be real. where Uh, I
1: have a real one. Okay. This is one of my favorite examples. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the company Spanx? S-P-A-N-X? Okay, so for your... um, listening audience the ones who don't know what spanx is spanx is what's called shapewear now you know we used to wear girdles and very tight you know things that held us in now we wear shapewear which is more comfortable and gives us less bulges mm-hmm. and the way it started was with a woman called Sarah Blakely Sarah wanted to wear these white pants, and she didn't want to have anything see-through on it, and she wanted the pants to hold her in, the shapewear underneath to hold her in. So she was looking for pantyhose without feet because she was wearing sandals. She didn't want anything to show. Couldn't find it to save her life. So she bought a pair of pantyhose, cut the feet off, and said, this is what I'm going to wear. She loved the idea so much that she spent years trying to get factories to want to make it for her because they all thought she was crazy. Mm-hmm. But she finally got it made, and she went to Neiman Marcus and showed it to them, and they she tried it on for them. They were hooked, and now Spanx, she's a billionaire now. Billion she's dollar company, a, yeah. Yeah, it's a billion dollar company, and she's incredibly successful from an idea that nobody else thought of, and it's really not that far-fetched an idea. I mean, you know, leggings, you know, pantyhose without the feet, like leggings, it's not such an unusual thing. She didn't, you know, reinvent medicine or anything. She did something kind of normal, but with a twist. So she gave it that little bit of a twist that created something, you know, amazing. And I think that's a good example of that.
0: Awesome! Yeah, that's a perfect, perfect example. And there's also a lot, a lot, uh, because not necessarily the the thing that makes you different doesn't necessarily have to be the product itself, but it could be the branding, right? So I have, Absolutely.
1: I have, I have
0: this, I have, and this that that might simplify things a lot. Well, not really, but to to start off with, I have a, a very good example, which there's a designer called Alexander Wang. Sure. And Alexander Wang, what pretty much. Made him have an easy access into the industry was that he was the guy that dressed off duty models. You know, his clothing didn't have any different technology. You know, his clothing wasn't made for any practical use to, I don't know, make you look better or feel better. It was just the brand that dressed off duty models. And once he got recognized for that, it was a lot easier for him to expand into a more general customer. But that is also a great example for that Ashley. That is a great Something example. I like better. that.
1: People come up with some unusual ways to market themselves and it really does make a difference to their success. I mm-hmm. have another one that you probably know of and can relate to. Um, mm-hmm. Tom's, you know, Tom's yeah. shoes. Yeah. But so Tom makes this shoe, which is not that pretty. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's for, they're kind of masculine for women, not that pretty, but they give away a shoe for every shoe that they make to people who don't have shoes. And that was all they needed to get a lot of press and a lot of attention. And they became this really big, hot company. I remember my daughter as a teenager wanted to buy them. I said, really, you want to buy them? She said, but (laughs) mom, (laughs) (laughs) because they weren't that attractive. She said, but mom, they give a pair of shoes away for everyone they sell. And i you know, my daughter's kind of altruistic, so she really resonated with that, and that's how you know Tom's really made a splash. So I agree with you wholeheartedly that marketing could be the angle that you use to get your name out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome, love that example. Uh, well, Maria, wish I could I could have you for a lot, lot longer but obviously I try to keep my episodes a little bit shorter than the rest out there just because I try them to make them a lot more dense when it comes to information. And okay. I know people after a very deep and technical chat can start losing focus and start losing their attention. So uh, again, I wish I could have you here for a lot longer. Hopefully I can have you here for an, for another episode. I do want to end the podcast with a question that I always try to end the podcast and the episodes with, which is if you had to go back, you know, maybe even before you started in the industry, what would be the best piece of advice that you would give yourself?
1: I think I would have gotten my master's. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think that having that kind of education would have opened up different doors for me than just going to FIT.
0: Mm -hmm. And by doors, do you mean opportunities with your own ventures or opportunities trying to put your foot into the fashion industry. Yeah,
1: I, I would have gone into a store training program. I think that would have cut my um, learning curve a little shorter.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Love it. Well, Maria, thank you very much for being here. Really, really, really good, valuable information. And I'd uh, like
1: to offer something to your people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Where can, where can they find more about what you do? Where can they get in touch? Uh,
1: Well, if anybody wants to have a free consultation with me, they mm -hmm. can reach me at Maria, M-A-R-I-A, at Vibe, V-I-B-E, consulting.co, not com, Mm C-O. Or they can go to my website, VibeConsulting.co, and download my free ebook about starting a business in the industry.
0: Awesome. Again, thank you very much for being here with us today.
1: Thank you, Esteban. It was very fun. I appreciate you having me on.
0: If you want to learn even more about how you can start your own fashion brand, make sure you follow me on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the future of fashion business. Make sure you subscribe to listen to our future episodes.